Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. to Feather and Fur, your host Brad Hurlbus, and we are back. I know it's been a little bit, about a month, maybe a month and a half since my last episode between all the iCast craziness and just the summer craziness. We took a little bit of a break, but we're back, and today we've got on Gabe Stone from the Rough Grouse Society. Welcome to the show, Gabe. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brad. I appreciate it. Yeah, this timing's great, especially with grouse season coming up, Rough Grouse Society's annual grouse camp coming up. It's just perfect time to get you on the show and we can kind of chat about you, how you got involved, and then everything Rough Grouse Society has going on. Cool. Yeah, sounds like a plan for me. Great time of year for everybody with hunting dogs because we can get back out in the woods again. Maybe not necessarily running on birds just yet, but at least getting the dogs out and stretching their legs on forest roads and whatnot. So glad to be here. Absolutely. No, no longer are we just tied to, to um, water or um, dog training areas. We are now that it's open back up as of today. Yeah, I get the I get the look every day from my dogs of like, okay, why are we still in the yard? This little <laughs> acre of fenced in. Like, I appreciate it, but this isn't quite cutting it. This time uh, of year, it starts to starts to get a little little thin for them. Yeah, and we're starting to. It's cooled down a little bit here. It's not that crazy heat we had a week week two weeks ago. Yeah, that makes it a whole lot better as well. Have to agree for myself and the dogs. <laughs> right. I will say this: like, I used to run like when I had younger dogs. I mean, Pippa's almost twelve. I don't run her like I used to. I keep her in shape, but not that kind of shape. Running in the heat, once you start to read your dogs, I felt like as long as you condition for it, it's fine. Bring a lot of water. Learn how to read your dogs. But the one thing I did notice is like, come fall boy were my dogs in shape oh yeah they had that cool air and those good conditions because they were just so used to running farm fields alfalfa fields wherever i could run them throughout all of summer like just 
working with different farmers and whatnot, being like, oh yeah, you can run the hay, we just cut it, or yeah, go run the alfalfa, whatever, it didn't matter. Just putting all those miles on, letting the dog run. The type of shape they were in was just incredible. I think about that now, I'm like, man, could I even keep up? Yeah, right, exactly. It's always good for you too. Yeah, right. I have a cycle. I lose about, I lose about, I don't know, 15 pounds myself once the end of season is, uh, once the end of season's on us to the beginning. So I understand how that goes for sure. It's good. It's good. It's a good way to get back out and exercise. Like not even thinking that's not even exercise, right? Because then it's, a, then it's a purpose. So exactly. Good. Exactly. Functional exercise. Right. So how did you get involved in the outdoors did you grow up hunting did you grow up fishing or did you take it upon yourself and just jumped into this crazy world um so yeah i grew up hunting and fishing i'm originally from uh southern michigan it was always um southeast michigan in, in the lower peninsula um it was always i mean i don't know when i shot my first year um first legal year i could whether that's eight or ten or whatever that is squirrel hunting with my dad, um, chasing turkeys, all that. And bird hunting always had this really kind of unique romanticized allure to me because I heard all the stories of the times past from my dad of chasing pheasants on, you know, these farm fields that are now subdivisions or uh, even rough grouse where we were in the uh, right in the base of the right in the base of the thumb. Um, he always called them ruffled grouse. It wasn't <laughs> until um, after I think I shot my first one that I, I found out that it was a rough grouse. But um, yeah, growing up, really into big game, um, really into fishing. My dad's a big time walleye fisherman, gets into the salmon as well. It's always a part of part um, of that. But the bird hunting, I would have to say was kind of, I don't know, kind of a catchy term, but adult onset, like I completely took that on myself. Um, to go up to the UP and I had a camping trip plan. I said, you know what, man, I've been reading these articles and like graze, um, graze, uh, what is that? Graze hunting and fishing or no graze outdoors, sporting something doesn't matter. Sure. Some sure. of these magazines about bird hunting in the North woods. I'm like, man, I'm going up there on this camping trip. I'm going to, I'm going to grab a shotgun and, and try my hand at it. And I, Honestly, I don't know how I managed to cuss it up, but um, I ended up shooting two rough grouse in my first woodcock without a dog, without a real clue of where I should be going or where I should be looking for them. And ever since then, it grabbed a hold of me like nothing else ever has. Um, I got on the waiting list for a dog, um, got the dog, Josie. She's a uh, now three and a half year old. Llewellyn Setter, and that was right in the peak of COVID. Um, sure. And I decided I was going to quit my job at that time and train the dog. We didn't know, you know, what was going on with all, all the COVID nineteen stuff. And I bought a van that's now is nicknamed the Bird Van, and spent my summer training the dog and figuring out what to do with her and um, building a relationship and working on the van. And that that first season, we loaded up and we took off for. Almost four months, I want to know, three and a half months or so. Um, and I've never looked back ever since. That's awesome. Like, yeah, like that's jumping all in. Like you go out hunting, you go out hunting for a weekend camp and you shoot a couple of grouse and a woodcock. And I'm, I'm really impressed you found where you retrieved them all too. Like 
those birds can be hard to find without a dog. Like, like yeah, I, <laughs> I, am, I am blown away that I found them to begin with because looking back, um, looking back, it was not an ideal cover. I have no idea how I, how I happened to stumble upon the woodcock. I mean, that's just sheer luck. Sure. Uh, I was not in sheer cover or in good cover. And uh, yeah, they just connected. I certainly shot at a couple other ones that, um, you know, probably still living today. But uh, yeah, it's funny because on my way up there, uh, just some little, little dirt two track road had this little sign that somebody must have put on the end of it. And it said Partridge Lane. Huh. And huh? That's probably about as good a sign as ever. So I went down right. there and, and that's uh, off that road is where I shot my first rough grouse. That's awesome. Yeah. And then, and then just to take that experience, be like, all right, time to get a dog. And the fact, I know you went like all in on the dog. Like I know what breeder you went with and everything else. And you can call them out if you want to, like, as long as you're still on good terms with them. But Oh I mean, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Kyle's a great friend of mine. I have yeah. uh, two Llewellyn setters out of um, Paint River setters. Uh, Kyle Warren, he's been training dogs, all sorts of dogs and bird dogs and really, really fine line of what I consider a fine line of um, setters. And Josie, she's like I said, she's three and a half now. And then Lila is my little one. She is a year and a half um, old. She was actually born the first day, my first day of working with RGS. So I took that as a good omen, too. Right. Yeah. Like, how do you get timing like that? Exactly. I mean, I was on the list and I knew one was coming. Um, but yeah, I got the text message the day after the, the second day of working with, with RGS and said, hey, yep, pups are on the ground last night. And I couldn't believe it. I'm like, well, oh. chalk that up is good omen. That's a sign. That's a sign. Yeah. It's as good as Partridge Lane, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Exactly. <laughs> kind of full circle. <laughs> but no, I mean, the paints are a gorgeous, gorgeous setter. I mean... He also does phenomenal photography. He's got great camera work and his dogs are super photogenic and they're amazing performers in the field too. So yeah, that's I, like, you went like, all, like in my opinion, like from being like never grouse hunting to shooting your, like you went all in on the dog. Like there's no doubt about that in my mind. I always knew. And a lot of it comes back to, you know, seeing the pictures in these old sporting magazines or this or whatnot. Of, I was always so attracted to, the setters. And at that time I didn't know a Llewellyn from a Ryman or this or that or whatever. It just was purely aesthetic, I think initially, which kind of planted that seed in my head. Um, and then I've, I'd met some over the years um, and I knew without a doubt that I wanted to have a setter. Um, and I wanted a predominantly closer working dog, uh, you know, um, and I called a couple breeders and uh, connected with Kyle and I barked up that guy's tree until it happened. <laughs> so I, uh, I, uh, I give him a lot of, you know, he took me under his, his wing. Both my dogs are in his breeding program. So they're both intact females and we have a really great relationship where we work together. And, um, sometimes, you know, hopefully this first, this first letter of Josie's last year, she came into heat, what was it? The last week of October. So um, that was a little navigating there to, right. to manage that. But uh, she had her first letter at the end of December. Uh, four great, healthy little pups. Some of the folks that got those I'll be hunting with hopefully this fall. So, yeah, it works out. 
That's awesome. Awesome, awesome guy. And he's so committed to his dogs and the betterment of the breed and the genetics behind it. And um, I've learned a lot from him. That's good. I mean, it's always great to work with amazing breeders, one that take true responsibility for the breed and their breeding practices and breed to truly better the breed and look at all aspects other than just drive. I mean, there's so much more to it than just drive. Yeah. I have to agree. Like from little things. And like I've had, I had um, Michael Ship on, we were talking griffs and he's like, well, I breed for feet. Like I want specific webbing in the feet and I breed for this and I breed for that. And I'm like, feet is one thing I've never thought about for breeding. To be honest, I never thought about that. I never <laughs> thought about like, like how webbed their feet are. And he was talking about that. I'm like, that's the level of breeder I want to work with. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like when you're taking the breed to a level that people are like, wait, that's possible? Like, I never would have thought of that. Yeah. Like, and I, I, I think Kyle's the same way with how he is with those Llewellyns. From what I've heard of him, I've never had a direct conversation with him, but I've talked to you, chatted with you and other people that have, that have known him and he's very well respected in the industry. And I think he's very great at doing the same thing with the Wellmans and making it like really bringing that, keeping that breed true. Yeah, I would, again, I don't be getting into the genetics and everything that goes into that and um, everything that is selected for and looked for uh, is completely out of my pay range. Um, mm -hmm. But I have full confidence in him and um, in, in where he's been. And that, you know, there's a lot of great breeders out there. Oh, agreed. Um, this has happened to be the one I picked, and we have a great relationship, and I'm not looking back. There you go. And then you jumped in a van, and we really didn't look back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Down by the river. <laughs> I just found, I, I think it was the Sharptail Grouse Society event that we were having a couple beers at, and yeah. I found out about that van, and I'm like, man, like, way to start off, like, your first season with your dog, like, just putting it on birds. Yeah, I mean, in retrospect, um, we hunted too much for how old she was. Sure. Um, but I think she had the best time of her life while she was, I know for a fact she did. Um, so if I went back, I probably wouldn't have hunted her as, what I would have done is got like three at the same time. <laughs> <when I went. laughs> um, but yeah, we put some miles on. That year we, we spent the majority of our time um, in the UP of Michigan, got over to Wisconsin a little bit, went out west to South Dakota, chased roosters, wild roosters in the southern lower in Michigan. Um, if anybody's listening, there's only about six of them left. Uh, so <laughs> no need to go chasing after them. Not, not the destination state you're looking for. Yeah. For that. Neither's Wisconsin. I mean, unless you want to, unless you want to chase DNR raised birds, the wild population here is very slim. Yeah. But there's pockets. I mean, there's, you know, all jokes aside, there's definitely pockets of them. But yeah, that first right. year um, with Josie just just cemented something in me that I think I was looking for for a while. I've always wanted that that deep, you know, connection and deep passion to something. I was always a hunter, you know, and fisherman kind of a broad sense. But um, once you add the dog into it, the camaraderie of people, uh, the fact that, you know, I'm moving uh, I before I got into bird hunting, I would do 10, 15 all day sits, bow hunting sometimes, and a little bit of gun hunting for deer. And uh, it's just, that would drive me nuts. And now I can move around, I can make noise, I can interact with people, I can take people out with me. It's just completely changed the game for me. 
there's something to be said. Like I've, I'm the same way. I know guys that are able to jump in a tree stand and just let the world melt away and just be a hundred percent in the moment. That's not me. Like it's too still, it's too quiet. It's, I've got too many thoughts going through my head now when I have nothing to think about, if that makes sense. Like it's just my mind's pulled in every direction. Whereas like with upland hunting, I can truly focus on the moment I'm in. I can watch the dog. Yeah. I'm, I'm watching where I walk. I mean, I don't walk trails. We, we break bush like all the time. Like we're not walking logging roads for the most part. Like I'm in the woods, I'm going over trees under, like I'm focused on my every footstep. I'm focused on where's the dog listening, watching everything. And I can actually stop thinking. Yep. I'm very present when I'm out hunting or even when I'm running the dogs or even on, like we were talking about that summer, you know, evening walk or morning walk in the alfalfa field. Uh, it's, it's a different sense of presence um, that I get from that and peacefulness, I guess you could say. I would agree. That's a good way to word it. And, and that's one of my biggest, like, that's why, and it all comes back to the dog for me, like so much with the dog, like upland hunting. I just, Pippa's almost 12 and she's a rescue and she doesn't do good with other dogs. So, I mean, I, I got a one horse stable right now. And if I have to retire her, I'm just not sure I can do the grouse hunting then. I just don't, I, I'm not going to go to walk in the woods by myself. The yeah. Dog for me is such a key piece of it all. Um, I don't know what I'll do, to be honest. I hope I don't have to make the choice. Yep. I hope you don't either. <laughs> I mean, that might be my little window because I'm a passionate bird hunter. I love upland hunting. When the weather gets cold and we have gun deer season and the woods get slightly dangerous for people when, like while well, that gun deer season, I really focus hard on waterfowl hunting. Um, that's just what I do. Like great way, like watch the dog, everything else. Um, maybe if I wind up in that year window where things don't work out, maybe that's when I take the ball out west to shoot elk or antelope or something like that. And because then I don't feel guilty sitting in a tree stand because that's my problem, right? Like I can have big bucks on camera and like, like I go sit in the tree with the bow and I'm just guilty. Like I should be out running the dog. My dog's yep. at home. I'm sitting in this tree and my dog's at home. So that's why that really pushed me away from anything but hunting with the dogs it was partially the guilt and then just the enjoyment of watching them work. I completely agree. I was a very, very passionate bow hunter. Um, and I still, I like to consider myself one. I haven't bow hunted in three years. Um, but I have a funny story, but I always feel so guilty. Just like you said, when you go out, you know, I, I still eat a lot of venison. So I partake in, um, you know, the gun, the firearm season and, but I, I just feel guilty that time of year, leaving my dog. <laughs> and I think it was, it was last year or maybe the year before, um, I was, I was, uh, hunting at my parents' house. It was like day two or three of the, the firearm season. I, I went all the way out uh, to my to my stand early in the morning and got in there and kind of nestled in and all of a sudden like, man that doesn't really sound like a deer what does that, that sounds kind of like a coyote or something and it's just starting to get light and I turn back and here comes Josie uh, <laughs> my parents let her out and she I mean she went right right for me at the bottom of the tree and I ended up so I'm like well all right. Uh, I, so I got down and took her back and um, uh, I ended up shooting a nice deer either later, later that night or the next day, but it was just like, okay, she feels it too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's funny though. It isn't, it isn't. Thankfully, like you were on private property, really well controlled. Like that's like always like, that's why 
during that 10 day season in Wisconsin, I just, my dog stays home. Yeah. I don't, unless I'm waterfall hunting, like out in the marsh or something where I don't even have to worry about it. But other than that, like that's one part of the season where I just don't run the dog. It's a good time, you know, especially if you've been hunting really hard, it's a good time to take a break, at least the, the first portion of it. That's when sure. you, know, you get a lot of your action then. And then if, if I'm going to hunt over you know, past the first couple of days, I am very selective about the cover that I'm going into and, um, you know, might not be the normal type of cover that I'd be in. Um, but there's still usually some birds there, but it tries to get me as, as far, far away, um, from, you know, firearm deer hunters and they have the right to be out there too. Absolutely. Oh, I, I support that completely. I just don't want, you know, risk management is what it exactly. is. I mean, risk management for the dog. And also like I get how many, what we had three months almost to hunt grouse. I mean, we yeah. get, I'll give him 10 days to be honest. Like I'm, I, maybe I'm too considerate. Like I have just as much right to be out there grouse hunting as they do deer hunting, but I got That's three months to, I got Right. I mean, I've got three months to do it. They got 10 days to try to put venison in their freezer. I, my dog can normally take the break. Let them, there's probably some, something that's got to heal on the dog at that point. Anyways, by that time of the season, that could use a little bit of a break. And to me, it's just, it's not only the safety factor. It's like, you know, you guys only get 10 days. There's other things I can chase. Absolutely. And I got to fill my freezer too. So, I mean, I got to get out there. Yeah. But I mean, it's great when you see like people that can share the woods like that too, right? That respect everyone else and know like you have just much of a right to be here as I do. And you like, you don't like, it's not worth fighting over. Everybody, everybody's got the same public land to enjoy. Absolutely. I agree. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Decova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So, your dog was born on the day you started at the Rough Grouse Society. Lila was. Lila, yeah. right. He was your born young one. April, April 4th, uh, 2022. And then Lila, or, and then. 
Josie was born April 3rd, 2020. So I'm using that as my segue into Rough Grouse Society. Like, what exactly do you do? So my title, I'm the Regional Engagement Coordinator um, for the Western Great Lakes. So my territory, I have all of the state of Wisconsin and the western uh, portion of the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. So as the Engagement Coordinator, uh, RGS, Rough Grouse Society, American Woodcock Society, we're a member-based organization. So made up of chapters. And I am the point of contact or the bridge between the RGS national office um, and our volunteer committees and our, our and the people that make up their chapters. So I do a lot of uh, work with them, planning events, um, reaching out with other conservation organizations and trying to um, co-offer things as well as, you know, a lot of it comes down to fundraising. But the, the main thing is I'm that point of contact um, for the national organizations here locally on the ground um, for Wisconsin and the Western Upper Peninsula of Michigan when it comes to all member-based things. Like in the state of Wisconsin here, we have a lot of other staff that are in the conservation delivery side of things, which is a whole different realm. Uh, and it's really truly the bread and butter of our organization. Um, but I work with the members uh, and with the chapters and the committees that make them up directly. And the chapter, I mean, Rough Grouse, I mean, you guys do an amazing job for conservation. You do an amazing job for habitat. I had John on and we talked about forestry and forestry management, and that was an amazing episode. And it's really the chapters, I mean, they're such a huge part and they need support from someone like you to help walk them through like different things to help their chapters grow, to help their chapters do better in the donation side, just to help their chapters be a more significant and impact, impactful part in it all. Absolutely. And I mean, shout out to my chapters and all the rest of our chapters across the nation. Uh, they do a great job and they've been here before me and they're going to be here, you know, after me, hopefully in another however many years that's going to be. Uh, we've been around since 1961. by So by no means are we a new new organization. But having that and then pairing that with, like you said, John Staggerwall, our forest conservation director, uh, I mean, just a wealth of knowledge and all our other conservation delivery staff sprinkled all across the country. And it's great to see, like, I've hunted some Rough Grouse Society projects before. I've stumbled into the lands that you guys have had your fingers in and turned them into better habitat. And that's such a huge part of it. And it's great to see also the, the efforts through the different chapters to help engage youth and re-engage adult hunters, like yeah. to continue to grow, not only just membership, like for Rough Grouse Society, but also to grow that outdoor community as we start to lose people that are start to lose these elderly hunters and the ones that are moving away from it to to kind of backfill that. As we've seen our hunter, as while people don't believe it, hunter numbers are truly declining. Yeah, absolutely. And this is something, you know, that if we don't have the next generation are passionate about this, care about protecting it, care about the, the you know, the the larger ethic of conservation at large, um, it's not looking good in however many years down the road. Uh, and, you know, not to be a, on the scare tactic side of things, but we have a, a tremendous wealth of passionate, committed people in our organization and other conservation organizations all across this nation. Hell, I mean, across the, across the globe. 
Um, so having that backbone of people there to support and be a voice for it currently is important, but also having that ability to bring up the next generations and um, kind of pass the torches is the bread and butter to the whole deal. Agreed. And it's not, and, and you, I mean, one thing I've noticed personally through all my experience, there's a lot of focus on youth, which is great. But I feel like there's a lot of times there's a gap on that just after college group that's wants to find a way into it, but doesn't know how. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. Um, I think there's a lot of people that were raised, like you asked me earlier, raised kind of in a hunting family, or maybe their grandpa hunted, you know, it wasn't, wasn't their identity, but they partake. And then you, you know, grow up and you get married or you go to college or you go to a trade school or whatever, and life kind of gets in the way. That's where, when we talk about our three, um, recruitment, retention, and reactivation. The third of reactivation, a lot of these people have that seed planted in them and it just needs a little bit of water to really make them pop out and flourish. And another really interesting part from my perspective is the the food aspect of it. And the, that movement there is, you know, I have seen in my role and outside of it that a lot of people are interested in connecting um you know, re-engaging with hunting for that food aspect, which I think is, which I think is great. Agreed. I've seen that as well. I've actually introduced hunters that really started it because they wanted to know where their meat came from. They wanted to know how to process their own meat. I've taught people how to butcher deer, you know, butcher birds. That's so that way there, because they wanted to know what was in my meat. Well, if you know yeah. where you shot, you know, if you know where it lives, you have a good idea of what it ate, right? Like if you know yeah. where you, if you know where you shot that deer, you have a good idea of the crops it was eating on and everything else. People kind of know the range. It's pretty easy to kind of have an idea of a range of deer, depending on the ter terrain, same with birds and every, everything else. And then they know, like, if they process it themselves, they know, like, I, only God in my hands have touched this thing. That's it. Yep. I would say a approximately 90% of people that I have taken out hunting or kind of introduced to hunting, whether that be deer or turkey or um, rough grouse and woodcock or pheasant, whatever, have came from the food aspect. That is what got them interested enough to um, actually get out in the field. Folks that had no, no sure. correlation to hunting in, in the past. They didn't grow up hunting. They didn't have anybody that took them out. They're just older and they're like, I want to, I want to know where my food comes from. Yep. And I want to be a part of that. Right. And that, that's, that is a very big piece. And I've heard that, like I've, I've introduced a couple people, not nearly 90% of who I've worked with, but I kind of do take out, I've taken on a different approach whereas I take veterans out hunting and I teach them how to hunt as a way to get back into the field. And just like with fishing and kayaking and different outdoor stuff as a way to like refocus, regroup and kind of like give them another outlet for their mental health. So for, so from that standpoint, I've done it, I've introduced quite a few people from a mental health standpoint. Which, yeah, I think the I think getting out in the woods, whether you're chasing a dog sitting in a tree stand or, you know, uh, yelling at a gobbler in a spring morning is multifaceted. It's the mental health aspect of it. We live in a very fast paced world nowadays to be able to be present, like we were talking about early, earlier and be outside fresh air, not cooped up, not looking at a 
screen, listening to birds chirping and whatever is going on. It's uh, there's there's so much value there um, before anything is to get harvested. And that's just kind of the cookie on top. And then you have a, you know, delicious, nutritious, you know, piece of meat to take home after that and cook up. That's just the cherry on top for me. Agreed. Harvesting. Uh, I feel like a lot of hunters, not all, but I feel like there's a lot of hunters that go through it, maybe more in the waterfall world that go through phases. And it's like, okay, I shot my first birds. I called my first birds and woohoo. And then you get to like, I need to shoot limits. Limits is what makes me a hunter. And then you start to get past that. And it's like, I just want to have a good hunt. I want to experience something. I want to watch that sunrise. I want to work these birds. I feel like it's really pronounced in waterfowl hunters, but I feel like it's also in different things as well. But I never really, I don't know many people that have that drive to shoot limits of wood, or not woodcock, but limits of grouse because I think it's just too damn hard. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know guys that do it and I know some that do it relatively consistently and like they've got a lot of dogs. They've got a lot of knowledge. They've been doing this for a long time and I'm just like, I'm not, I haven't even come close. Yeah. And the habitat. I mean, it comes down to the habitat as well. And, right. you know, that bigger conservation aspect is how do we get potential for limits of grouse on the landscape? Whether or not you're going to run into them all, shoot at them all, or get all of them, how do we get that there? And that's kind of where we come in as an organization. And the habitat management for grouse is such a great management for really all species because they need a little bit of everything. Yep. They need that new growth. They need that semi-mature. They need the mature. They really, as John called it, was a bellwether, bell, bellwether bird. Like it really tells you about the, for, the health of your forest. Yeah, absolutely. If the grouse are doing well, just about everything else in the forest is doing well. And that's through healthy, diverse, managed forests. Which, is, which benefits everyone. Exactly. Black bear. Uh, deer, wild turkey, warblers, uh, pollinator. I mean, it's the whole facet of everything all the way down, you know, um, rabbit, the whole, everybody gets covered um, in those ecosystems. People, you know, when we're talking about rough grouse, we usually reference edges and hunting an edge and, you know, the edge of an older timber stand to a younger or a river or this or that. That same thing applies for just about any any species of game and a lot of species that are not game animals as well. And I think a lot, and I didn't recognize this at first until after our conversa that conversation with John, but I didn't realize how much of an impact pollinator crops have on young birds. Yeah. And that is something I, because I, I mean, most grouse hunters are out in the fall and we're in, I don't know, I tend to lean towards 12 to 15 year old cuts with a border or something like that. I, I have a general, like when I'm out, I have a general idea of, where I find birds, pollinator crops really aren't one of them in October or late no or in November, at least not where I'm finding them in the habitats I hunt. So I never really put two and two together that those have such a huge impact on young birds that are eating grubs. Yep. On baby grouses. Right. <laughs> and that's one thing I think that rough grouse society does a great job of is to getting into these like, to show just how much your organization does when it comes to habitat and that habitat 
that level of habitat, that diversity in the habitat where, do you know, we're also making sure, like not only are you making sure grouse are good, but you're doing pollinator crops, which bees, butterflies, and everything else, which is such a huge focus. I mean, look at, what is it, Nomo May or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, like there's a huge focus on pollinators right now and you're at the forefront of it all and you have been. So we're trying and we couldn't do it without our members. Which the members make all, like all these organizations, I mean, members play such a crucial role. It's the foundation of the organization. It, it really is. Um, they drive local projects. The other, you know, kind of looping back around is in, in my role, it's not all just let's go out there and raise money. Of course, that's important and we need to do that. Uh, but it's also these type of engagement events. Um, that's why my actual role title is engagement coordinator is to get people out to build that community. Um, everything doesn't have to be a fundraiser, dog training, um, youth days, um, shoots all sorts of other aspects of events it's you know not your commonplace fundraiser or maybe has no element of fundraising uh our birds and brews etc to get people out get them engaged share our mission as an organization our vision of where we're going um you know where we've been where we're at and where we're headed and get these people um engaged and and a part of the organization and you know, with a rising tide, or what is it? No, I'm going to butcher it. Rising tide raises all ships. That's not right, is it? I don't know what you're, I don't know where you're going with that one. I've not heard that one. Yeah, I just butchered that. You should probably cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, I will, like, when I talk to different people about different organizations, they always just, especially if they have any sort of a slightly bad taste in their mouth for hunting, it's always, oh, that's a hunting organization, but it's not. There's so much more to it until you, until you open, like they said, engage with everyone. I mean, they don't know what rough grouse, like they don't know the habitat improvement projects. They don't know everything else that's being done to better our forests, better our lands, which impacts everyone. Anybody that wants to use the land from photography to hiking, everything. Absolutely. It's, it's holistic. And again, uh, it benefits much more than just uh, game species, especially right. more than the rough grouse and the American woodcock, uh, but even way bigger benefits so much more than just game species. And I know one big event you have for introducing new folks and mentoring them is your rough grouse camp. That was a nice segue. You like that? Let's work on that. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I got a good one. <laughs> yeah. So our grouse camp is coming up uh, in September here in the great state of Wisconsin. Um, it's our premier kind of annual R3 event. Again, recruitment, retention, and reactivation for folks interested in getting into not just rough grouse and American woodcock hunting, but uh, upland hunting at large, obviously, we take a pretty strong focus on the rough grouse, the king, and um, the American woodcock. But yeah, it's hands down my favorite event of the year this year. It is going to be, let me see here, it's September 22nd, 23rd, and 24th, um, where the 23rd, we have to kind of strategically do this, is going to be the opening day of woodcock as well. So both woodcock and rough grouse. Um, 
are going to be available um, hunted species. We do it in Eagle River, Wisconsin, which is northeast um, Wisconsin. All sorts of stuff. I'm, you know, I'm sure we'll run through this, but um, presentations, demonstrations uh, from a lot of our corporate partners and and other folks that are interested in coming out and lending kind of their perspective, their wherewithal, their their knowledge of all the things that go into hunting rough grouse and um, American woodcock, as well as two days, well, two half days, say five, six hours a piece of mentored hunting. Where we're actually pairing folks up and getting them out in the woods behind bird dogs and chasing after these birds. Which is amazing. I mean, not only do you have the presentation side showing these hunters what to look for in habitat, how to use different apps to locate habitat, how to do that online scouting to boots on the ground to make them successful in the field, along with like how to butcher birds, how to different, like different ways to prepare birds and cook birds. And there's on site, the, the chef last year was amazing on site because I got yeah. to take part in this. Um, then you then you layer in that next level of like that mentorship and it's not a guided hunt like it's not like six guys taking along with one random dude and like it's not it's not like that it's these super small groups so you get to have this intimate connection not only with the dog you're hunting over but with that mentor's knowledge like really taking you from the ground level quickly up that ladder to get you successful in the field oh absolutely you you hit it you hit it right on the head you know the purpose of grouse camp is not to get out there and, and shoot as many birds as we can it's let's how can we learn this foundational knowledge for us to be better woods people uh and you know better pursue and set ourselves up obviously for more opportunities with grouse and woodcock last year we had um, folks from 16 different states come out and like you said and i appreciate it, i take it as a compliment that it's a, a very intimate setting we limit um registration to 80 people our venue is not huge um we're hunting on all public land in the northwest or northeast you know little quadrant of wisconsin based out of eagle river and we don't need to overpressure that area and we pair up two mentees per each mentor so it's real small group um setting our presentations again uh this year actually brad you came last year i don't know if you explicitly said that and i appreciate you coming out and lending a hand um this year we're doing whole separate presentations for mentees as well as the mentors we couldn't host this type of event without folks coming out uh, being gracious enough to share their time share their knowledge uh, share their dogs and get folks out in the woods so we're doing some you know I think 201 presentations and demonstrations for actually it's probably like 401 <laughs> um, for our mentors where it's a little bit more foundational um, information for our mentees. And we got it. I got a list of stuff here in front of me if we want to go over it just because I I would hate to miss some of it. Yeah, um, let's, let's let's go over this in detail and then we can touch base on different points as we go or I'll just shut my mouth and let no, you go. No, man, fire away. If something comes <laughs> up, just fire away. Uh, first thing I want to do is recognize this year we kind of, um, we added a lot since last year. Um, and we've had some of our, um, some folks come on as 
sponsors of the event. We have four gold uh, habitat sponsors for Grouse Camp 2023. Purina, um, Onyx Hunt, folks from Modern Carnivore, um, Pike Gear, Purina, Onyx, and Pike Gear are all um, some of our corporate partners as a national organization. And we have two Silver Habitat sponsors as well, which is Sport Dog Brands and NSSF, which is the National Shooting Sports uh, Foundation, their plus one program, which is a, uh, you know, their take on an R3 program. Um, so they're all sponsoring our grouse camp this year, as well as the Wisconsin DNR. We received a grant from Wisconsin DNR um, to cover some of our costs because we, we don't want too much of a barrier of costs being prohibitive of people coming out, experiencing an event, meeting all these people, interacting with them and, and learning these um, potentially lifelong skills. Um, so first off, I'd like to give a huge shout out to all the folks I just mentioned there and those organizations. And those spot and last year it was great. Like the, the mentors got little goodie bags from them and they did a great job. Oh yeah. It was amazing. It was awesome. We got some pretty great goodie bags. <laughs> I will agree with that statement. I will agree this with year. that statement. Yeah. Um, folks from modern carnivore are getting a, um, a whole how to hunt upland birds it's a series um that they've put together uh, i believe that's going to be accessible before the event so they could go through ahead of time um onyx has been gracious enough to donate a uh when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Let me, let me not get it wrong. A premium membership, the one state membership, annual membership to Onyx, as well as doing uh, presentations, demonstrations. Prina's putting together a hell of a goodie bag. Um, has some stuff from Sport Dog as well. And there's going to be some kind of cool Grouse Camp RGS branded stuff that I can't quite talk about yet, but that we're going to have there too. It's, it's, it's an awesome time. I do. I mean, it wasn't awesome. I mean, I spent 50 bucks on an empty bottle of booze. I did. Yeah. <laughs> That's another point. We last year, we kind of jumped all in and did a uh, whole hog pig roast, which was outstanding. I couldn't be more pleased with that. And we're bringing that back again this year. Uh, one of my chapters in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, the Chippewa Valley um, chapter RGS, they have made this really small batch rye whiskey called old rough we did a whiskey tasting of that last year we're going to do that as well we'll have some live music there at you know uh on i believe saturday night friday night saturday night we do big campfires um 
after you know everybody gets back in from hunting um yeah it's it's fun we have presentations on saturday morning which is 9 23 let me see they start at 8 30 in the morning uh before breakfast everything's included besides lodging for folks that are interested in registering as well it's three day it kicks off at five o'clock on friday the 22nd um and it ends sunday the 24th at around 1 2 p.m after folks get back in from their mentored second mentored hunt um, so in that period of time all meals obviously are goodie bags um, the mentored hunting everything is included in in registration so that's thing, pretty like, nice besides lodging folks do need to we have people coming all over the country bringing dogs and this and that eagle river uh has tons of different lodging opportunities there that is on regist registers to to figure out kind of themselves but everything else is included in their registration and one thing i really want to say like people are like oh mentor hunt like what's the like the mentor is there to make sure like really like i took it as a mentor and all the mentors i talked to because we all, we all talk like a lot of us became friends like we had never met each other before all these like a lot of these mentors and we have we established friendships because we we're all there for the same reason to make sure that this continues on and we take it very seriously and it's not like us hunting over our dogs and you're taking along like i don't i, don't, I didn't bring a gun with me i didn't hunt i was yep. there to work my dog and make sure that you that these that the the mentees learned and we're able to experience what drives me so much to be in the woods. It was to share that experience. And I can't do that necessarily if I'm hunting. So that's like, I don't have a gun. I'm controlling, like I'm working my dog and my focus is on making sure not only are you two safe, but that you two are learning and also experiencing the same thing. Oh yeah. It's, it's invaluable. And we couldn't do it without our, without folks like you that came out and, and mentored. And to have that kind of foundational knowledge in the form of, you know, they're not formal per se, but presentations, demonstrations, you get that on Saturday morning from 8.30 to 11.30, presentations, and then we peel out and um, join up with mentors and go out in the field to get back after that, to have the presentations and then be able to directly apply that right after you learn some of that stuff is invaluable. And then this year we added a, a whole second day of um, mentored hunting. So on Sunday, we're going to be pairing people up with a different mentor and going out again on Sunday morning as well. So that's going to be awesome. Two different perspectives of, of hunting with folks, you know, everybody has a different you know knowledge of hunting and their perspective and this and that to be able to pair them up with two different people and spend time out in the woods in late september after learning and being exposed to so much of this foundational knowledge and being able to connect and interact with folks there all weekend long it's it's a really good event i agree I'm glad to have the opportunity to host it and people could you i know you said 16 states i know that i know the uh the father and son that hunted with me they came all the way from kansas city missouri yeah that's a drive and california texas and florida last year i believe were the furthest those are the ones that are 
um, sticking out in my head as some of the furthest. But yeah, we had 16 different states last year. And that's awesome. That I mean, and it was everything from, like when I say father and son, I mean 55 and 35. Or maybe it was 60 and 40. I mean, yeah. they like the son was my age and he brought his dad and they had never grouse hunted before. So it's not just father and son, like younger, like young, like dad with like a 12 year old kid that wants, I mean, the range of age is from young, like, I think there was there some younger kids last year. I'm trying to remember. Was there any youth here? I think there was. I'm almost positive there was. Yeah. Not young, young, but yeah, we had right. some, some youth like, there. Yeah. Like youth hunters, not like toddlers or anything like, but like youth hunters. Yeah, all the way up to elder, all the way up to semi-retired. Yeah, we had a couple guys in their seventies come out last year. Men, to, women, to have that to hear the stories after you know, as the night's kind of winding down around the campfire or in the tent, it's just, uh, it's a good time. I agree. And it's a great experience, especially for those looking to get into grouse hunting or woodcock hunting yeah. or really upland hunting in general, just in general hunting behind a dog. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I have to agree entirely. And that's this. And this is the, what year is this? How many, like this isn't, I know that I know it's the second year you've been involved, but I know they've done this priors. So I, what is it? Do you know? This is the second year I've, I'm going to be doing it. Um, Dave Johnson, uh, my predecessor is a gentleman that, that uh, uh, birthed this idea of grouse camp. So um, absolutely credit where credit's due. I think he, I think there was three before I took it over and then, you know, that was one or two before COVID and then COVID stuff kind of put a hamper on everything, but yeah. And every year it gets just a little bit better. That's the point. That is absolutely right. the point. We listen. We listen to folks. What do you want to hear? That was the one thing when, you know, we had folks from 16 different states, like I said, and come in and I, I felt like we needed to give them more opportunity to be out in the woods. So Agreed. that's why we added that whole another half day of, of mentored hunting to, to get them out there. And, and that's huge. I know last year, um, my two mentees, they didn't want to take part in the seminar Sunday morning. So I took them out again. They did get a second day of hunting. Not a yeah. The, the, yeah, a, the seminar is the second day. There was a, uh, nothing against your seminars. The second of attendance. <laughs> yeah. But as you said, like they, they drove hours and they're like, I would really like to get out in the field. And they, what they really wanted to do was they wanted to get their young dog out in the field. And I didn't want their dog out with my dog. So, we took their dog out the second day instead of mine, which is fine. Yeah. Um, which is great. Let the dog get in the woods and let's see what happens. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. I a lot of people, you know, will reach out to me and ask us, "Hey, I'm from Tennessee or this or I it, you know, some other state. I've never hunted rough grouse before. Uh, I'm really interested in doing it. it. Can I bring my dog? Am I allowed to? Absolutely. We encourage folks to bring to bring their own dogs. Uh, if, if you're learning to hunt grouse for the first time, um, there's a lot of steps along the way and the same thing applies for your dog. Um, so we love, we, we should have took account of how many different breeds of dogs were set last <laughs> year. But that would have been a fun kind of metric to be able to report on. We have dogs all over the place. 
Um, so I encourage people to bring their dogs. I encourage people to, if they're interested in rough grouse hunting or woodcock hunting, to come out, to give it a try, to connect with people, um, the different experiences and stories folks have. We had guys that, you know, for somewhere down south and somebody else up up north swapping hunts. Well, oh, you get you hunt bobwhite quail. Oh, that's great. Well, we can come down and just the camaraderie at large and the connections people have that it's such a beautiful time of year in the Northwoods, eating good food and um, hanging out is top notch. I would agree with everything that said there. And it was a lot of friendships made. It was just, it was a really good event and it was a really good way to, as a mentor, give back also. Yeah. And again, we couldn't do it without, without our mentors. So huge shout out to them. I mean, it's, it's like, we joked about the goodie bag, but I mean, like the, like you got a name thing that said like you were a mentor and it was on a sport dog lanyard. I'm like, how cool is that? Right. Yeah. Like it was on a little sport dog, like a little sport dog whistle lanyard. I'm like, that's cool. Like, like it's just, and that's like, just, it's, it's not even attention to detail. Like, but it's just like that silly little, like, it's almost like an Easter egg. Like that's like, if you weren't a dog trainer, if you didn't have a dog, you literally have no idea what this was for. Yeah. But you know. Because now you, know. you can hang it around your rear view mirror. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's not all about it, but we have a we have a pretty good goodie bag this year. I'm I'm excited for that. It's always fun. Given that it's up. being able to share that experience and really bring up like and, and it's a great a great way for that for that for your R3 program to like really like truly dig in. Yeah. And again, it's multifat, you know, it's, we have all these different presentations and demonstrations, kind of, you know, you could say classroom setting. Then we go out to the field, we have a bird tent, checking in birds, sexing, aging birds um, when they're coming in from a field, which immediately goes into a cooking bird breakdown demonstration, uh, which folks love that last year into our, you know, evening festivities of dinners or on Saturday night, there's going to be the whiskey tasting. Um, I'm trying to line, line up some live music to have there on Saturday night, which should be a good time too. And be able to hang out on the, the campfire after that and do it all again the next day, wake up to a nice, nice warm breakfast and coffee. Um, everybody meet under, you know, we have a huge venue tent that we rent and try to do as much of this outside as we can uh, in the morning and then head back out um, on Sunday with a different mentor and be able to experience that with somebody else again, really invaluable and fun like that. Fun. I can't, I can't reiterate that enough. It is fun. It is. And it's work for me, you know what I mean? Up until that, but once, once we're live, I'm having a great time. And I know some people might be thinking, I don't want to sit in seminars. All I want to do is hunt. And last year even being an experienced grouse hunter there was things i learned in those seminars so i mean I honestly stuff last year i mean honestly if you're a new grouse hunter and you decide to do this like don't dread the seminars like bring a notepad because there's going to be a lot of knowledge heading your way that really cuts that learning curve down not only is your mentor going to do it but those presentations last year about habitat and it was it was incredible yeah, here, I'll, I'll run through what we have on the docket. I've yeah. got an agenda here in front of me. So again, I've said we have two different presentations that we're doing for the mentees and the mentors. There's opportunity for folks in the, in the mentee category to go over to the mentor 
presentations, but not the other way around. Um, so for the mentees, we have a uh, gear demo. Brent Pike from Pike Gear is coming out explaining that, you know, the purpose and kind of the reasoning behind some of uh, his gear specifically, but the, the bigger picture of selecting the right gear, a field for the right time of the year. Um, we're having a mapping and navigation, e-scouting um, presentation, um, Ben Bergen of Onyx Hunt. Next, habitat, ecology, strategies, tactics, right? How do we apply all of this, uh, where the birds live, what they're doing different times of year to actually be successful when you're afield hunting them? Um, that's going to be done by some RGS staff. Dog nutrition and season prep, kind of the basics and overview of that by Dr. Ruth Ann Lobos. Uh, she is a vet with Perina. She's coming out. And then, you know, the Another thing here is the safety element of being out in a field, hunting, especially hunting, um, potentially a new species for some people or a completely different type of hunting altogether. Um, that's important. We want to recognize that with our mentors. So we're, we're doing a safety briefing of intro to hunting with dogs, right? If you've never hunted with a dog before, that's a whole new thing. So what do you need to keep in mind? approaching that and, um, you know, making sure your day is successful in more ways than one. I, and I stole this and I don't remember who I stole it from. So I can't give credit where credit is due here, but it's three rules. To, it, I've got three rules when hunting. Don't shoot my dog. Don't shoot my dog. Don't shoot each other. Yep. And I don't remember who I stole it from. I don't know if I saw it on a TV show, but I'm like, it's so true. Don't shoot my dog. Don't shoot my dog. Okay. Don't shoot each other. Yeah. And it's kind of a great way to like start, like it's a lighthearted thing, right? Cause it's kind of like, ah, it's, but it's not at the same time. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of show it's a, it's a, a lightish hearted way to like really show you the seriousness of that dog is on the ground in front of you and birds are going to be over their head. Yeah. You have to pay attention to where the dog is, where the bird is before you just start shooting. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's an element of all hunting, but. Right. Now we're out there with firearms. So to, to have that needs to have that safety component as well. And we do that right before we break on Saturday to send people out, you know, bag lunches. Um, everybody gets sandwich, chips, cookies, that kind of thing. Head out in the field and get after it for 1130 to 530. We need folks back by 630 this year. Get back into the bird tent, uh, age sex birds and then cooking demonstration, and then it's into dinner. That's on Saturday for the mentees. The mentors, um, starting off, we have Dr. Ruth Ann Lobos, uh, again from Perina. She's going to be doing an emergency care in the field presentation uh, for folks that have these dogs of what is it that you should be looking for. If XYZ goes wrong, how can you best be prepared for that? And then what to do in the moment um, to set yourself up. Uh, Brent Pike is doing a gear demo from Pike Gear also for the mentors. Um, Mike Kortnoff uh, of Wisconsin Trappers Association is coming out to do a presentation on how to get your dog out of a trap. If that was, um, you know, terribly unfortunate, but um, if that's something you found yourself in, it's funny because I just actually ordered myself a pair of um, snare um cutters there do and you then, also 
another thing I would add to your vest if you don't is I think mine are 36 inch zip ties. Yep. For counter bears. Yep. Yep. So That's much on my list. Than, I don't have them so yet, much but. quicker than the, than the shoelace method. I mean, I still have a rope in there still from like, you know, way back in the head, but big zip ties. Cause then it also locks it. So every yep, time you exactly. get that, you get that a little bit more, you're taking more and more pressure off that dog. That is an excellent point. Um, Onyx is doing an advanced mapping, navigation, and e-scouting presentation. Um, and then we kind of release folks to the field. So two different presentations, um, demonstrations, presentations going on for the mentees and the mentors. Um, Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. It's going to be a ton of learning happening for all sorts of folks. That's awesome. And then they get out in the field on opening day of Woodcock and... Hopefully get after it. That'll be good. That'll be good. One thing that I, one thing I had to learn, like remind, it's hard. Like it's really hard. There's so many leaves that time of year. You do not get great sight picture at birds. No. Nope. You have to be quick. Yeah. And like, you have to like, it's hard. And like, I try to call it out real quick, like grouse or woodcock. Like, like I, this next year, I might just call out shoot. Like just <laughs> yeah, shoot or bird. Like I don't want them to have to think like if I call out grouse, can I shoot a grouse? I don't want them to think if I call out the word woodcock, because if I'm shooting with someone like if I'm with my regular hunting buddies, I'm gonna be like, grouse, woodcock, like you know what I mean? Like depending on where we're at for bag limits, like I might specifically say grouse, like we're not gonna have a limit of grouse. So I might say woodcock because <laughs> we could have very well have a limit of woodcock and we don't want to shoot, right? But for those, for the mentee, like for them, I want to make it simpler because there was time, like they hesitate. And if with how many leaves are on the trees that time of year, you hesitate, you might not ever see that bird again. Yeah, that's why that's real strategic. It's a great point to bring up. That is why we strategically pick this date. So Woodcock is open. We don't want any, you know, we don't want to set anybody up for confusion um, out there. No, you know, if it's a grouse or a woodcock, I mean, you should, you should anybody should know what they're shooting at or right before they're pulling the trigger, but to reduce that certainly important on our, our side of things. And we're in an area where it's not like we're going to run into spruce grouse or anything crazy. Like there, that we didn't, you know, like, um, or like, um, sharp tail. I mean, we're not going to run into any of that. No, no, like they're not. That's not the right habitat. They're not over there. I mean, pretty much you kick a bird up off the ground short of a Tweety bird it's going to be the species we're looking for. Yeah. Which is good. And then, so your schedule on Sunday is breakfast and then right out into the field. Yeah. So Saturday after that, we come back. Um, like I said, bird tent, cooking demonstrations, dinner. Uh, we are going to do a fun kind of raffle situation there Saturday night. And some really, really good prizes for folks. Um, some live music, campfire, oh, gotta make sure my computer doesn't stop on me. Campfire <laughs> on Saturday night. 
Um, and then we do it all over again on Sunday morning. So breakfast um, in the morning under the tent, and then we split everybody up to get out hunting again. We heard, uh, like you said earlier, some folks that had, had driven um, or just real eager. They decided to skip some of the presentations, demonstrations last year on Sunday. So we said, nope, we're going to feed you, give you lunch, and get out there with your mentors and have a good time. And then really at the end of that, um, it concludes at, at 1 p.m. And some folks are going to be coming back to the venue after that or whatnot. But that is the wrap-up of the event. Give some folks, if they're not too crazy far away, opportunity to get back or hang out for a couple more days and ex experience the beauties of the Northwoods in Wisconsin that time of year. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be an awesome event. I'm really hoping I can make it again. Got some crazy work stuff beforehand, so, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to be able to get it sorted out and make it in time. So I'm really hopeful I can make it again because it is such an amazing event. It's that, I mean, not only is there like do the mentors bond with each other, but you also bond with the mentees. You bond with just like-minded individuals that want to be in the outdoors, that recognize the, the conservation and recognize like just how great upland hunting is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we had people from all sorts of different walks of life, all sorts of different demographics, uh, men, women, younger kids, you know, seasoned vets, first timers, you know, uh, uh, very good, knowledgeable Western hunters that haven't pursued hunting rough grouse before. Just the mix of folks there is, is, um, it's pretty extraordinary, especially with only, you know, 80, 80 people, um, coming in on the mentee side of things. It's a great mix of people. How would someone go about finding that event if they wanted to take part? Yeah, so you can find it right online. You go to roughgrousesociety.org. See if I can do this without clicking through myself. Um, you go to events, and then an event calendar will pop up. Again, it is September 22nd, 23rd, and 24th. It kicks off at 5 o'clock on um Friday, the 22nd. So you don't have to be up there first thing in the morning by any means. Uh, we give folks about a two hour window to come in. And then we kind of get into it last year. Some people driving further away or whatnot, weren't able to, to get in right then, but that's fine. But you do not want to miss the pig roast uh, at seven 30 on Friday. Um, but you can right there on the event page, sign up and register. We have two different options. One is for folks with an existing membership to Rough Grouse Society and American Woodcock Society or without. So if you already have a current membership, um, it's a little bit $35 less than um, if you do not. All folks that attend, we do need to have a membership um, to attend. So that's why we're offering those two options there earlier today. Um, I checked and we were just over 60 folks, um, signed Ooh, so up already. So there's, so there's not a little a, bit of time. There's a little, you got a, there's a little you still got a chance, but yeah, yeah I would like sending those early season birds. I wouldn't let them, I wouldn't wait too long. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. right. It is going to pass, but yeah, we do still have some spots. Love to have folks out. Um, I know that. We're, we're certainly going to get to our 80. Uh, we're a bit ahead of it than we were this time last year. So if it's something that you're interested in, 
get online, register. If you have any direct questions, folks can get a hold of me. My contact is right there at the bottom of the page with the flyer, any of the stuff corresponding to Grouse Camp. Um, otherwise, my email is Gabe S as in stone. So Gabe's at roughgrousesociety.org. If anybody has any questions, um, concerns, just wants to know a little bit more about Grouse Camp and what we have going on there, they can feel free to reach out directly to me. And I'll put links in the description here for everyone to easily find the RGS page and I can throw a link right and I will not put a link in to his email, but it's very easy to find it through the link from Russ Gruff, Gruff Grouse Society. You know, one step, one degree of separation to try to keep a little spam away from you. Yeah, I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. Um, But you can always you can always message me as well, and I can get you in touch with Gabe. That's very easy to do. Otherwise, just you can get you can find his contact info right through the Rough Grouse Society. Cool, I appreciate that, Brad. Thanks again for coming out last year. I understand that time of year is busy. Personal stuff, work, everything, changing of the season, time of the season, what have it be. Um, but we'd love to have you out again, and I appreciate you coming out last year as well. Absolutely. I'm hopeful I'll make it again this year, and I appreciate you coming on the show today and talking talking a little history about how you got into this and what Rough Grouse Society has going on for members and Grouse Camp. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. This one funny last thing before we leave here, I've been looking – uh at your jerseys behind you i'm assuming they're they're fishing that my screen's smaller on my computer here i'm assuming they're fishing jerseys we need to have we need to have a sweet rough grouse society american woodcock society jersey upland jersey wouldn't that be neat that i think that would be pretty cool to be honest like i think they're like there you go. Maybe that's something. Maybe that's something for the. Maybe that's something for Rough Grouse Camp. Maybe you can offer a jersey. Like, I don't know. Not, Time's running out. That might be on not it. this year. Not this year, but a future year, you can give people the option to purchase an official Rough Grouse Camp Society jersey. Yeah, that might be neat. Uh, now, now you'll have to take it one step farther and be like, "Hey, hey, my gold sponsors, you're going to kick a little money to have your name on this jersey? Like, yeah. like what are you going to do here? <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, you got to think outside the box, man. Right, right. So, well, all right, sir. I appreciate you coming on. To all my listeners, thanks again for tuning in. I wouldn't do this without you. And until next time, keep chasing that experience. search for the one they call king but who will take his throne tune in to waypoint tv's battle for silver saturday may 18th from 12 to 6 p.m eastern presented by abyss battery waypoint tv a life that has the stories to back it a life to be proud of it's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. Six, eight Western. Oh, I'm old there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.